All right, well, good to see everyone. Welcome to Monday night Bible study. How exciting. I'm very excited tonight. So let's uh, just take a moment and we can pray and uh, ask God's blessing our time and get moving. So, Father, thanks for a time to meet tonight, and we thank you for your presence here. Uh, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you're right here with us. And so we just ask you, God, that you would lead us, guide us. We pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit tonight, and ask God that we would really be open to what you want to say. And maybe some things that we don't want to hear, I pray, God, that we'd be able to hear and allow you to change in us needs to be changed. So God, tonight, just pray you'd have your way. We thank you for your presence. We pray, God, that you'd minister to us before we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, for Bible study tonight, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. There's a few available. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Through what? Is it more? It said through verse 32. Okay. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Uh, so it begins, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, first thought here is the idea of what does it mean to... And think of it as a verb. What does it mean to grieve someone? Uh, think about the root of the word or a word that you might know uh, that sounds like that word. Uh, think about what that means and then maybe apply it to it. But uh, what do you think of when you think of grieving someone? Like don't give the, that person a, a reason to like warn you or feel sad. Right. Okay, sad's a kind of key word with that. When we think about grieving, when do you normally grieve? What do you think of when you normally grieve? When someone dies. Yeah, a funeral, something like that. So uh, sad is the, the key word with that. There's a simple definition of grieving someone as a verb is to uh, cause someone to feel sad or unhappy. That's the basic definition of the word grieve. And so when you hear this in, in the Bible, grieve, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not cause the Holy Spirit to be sad or unhappy over you. Don't give cause to the Holy Spirit to be sad or unhappy. Because he has feelings too. Okay? And I know you don't think of him that way, but he does. God has feelings. In fact, when you look in the Bible and you think about all the different 
emotions that are ascribed to God. Uh, God has feelings, like we have feelings. And they're very real feelings, and we shouldn't really take those for granted or ignore them because they're real. So the Bible says don't make the Holy Spirit sad or unhappy. And so then it goes on to say that it's the Holy Spirit by which you've been sealed for the day of redemption. And that word sealed means that you've been marked as authentic by the King. So the Holy Spirit marks you. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God over you. And He brings that seal over your life. He's the one that seals you and marks you as authentic, according to this verse, until the day of redemption. So he has a job to do. Part of his job is, and we know he empowers, we know that he uh, does a lot of things in our life. He teaches, he reveals, he, he, he gives us gifts. He does a lot of things in our life. But one of the things that he does is he's a marker. And he marks us, seals us as authentic. So he's the one that lets us know that. He's the one that lets everybody know that. Powers and principalities know that because the Holy Spirit marks us and seals us as authentic. So everyone in the physical and spiritual realm that cares to see or cares to look, we've been marked as authentic by the Holy Spirit. That's part of his function, part of his job. So he's marking us. By him we've been sealed, we've been marked as authentic to the day of redemption. So while he's doing that, according to this verse, I want you to follow along with this verse. It says, in his work of doing that, let's not cause him to be sad or unhappy. And then he goes on to describe how we do that. Or don't do that, however you want to see it. So how do you go about making sure that we're not making and we're not causing the Holy Spirit to be sad or unhappy, especially what's being highlighted in this verse, especially doing his work of sealing us, doing his work of marking us, of stamping us as authentic. You know, you think about what a seal was, you understand, like, seal, we think of the word seal as being like a Ziploc bag. You, know, you get a seal on it so it doesn't spill anywhere. But the seal they're talking about is the royal seal. And those of you that are familiar with kind of the idea of cloaks and daggers and, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's the seal, the wax would be put on there on the, on the correspondence and uh, there'd be a seal either in the form of a ring or something and that would be put over that wax and that would seal up or cause a seal over that correspondence which marked it as authentic that this is from the king so that's us we've been sealed in other words we've got the the wax mark on us or whatever you want to think of it as not sealed like a ziploc bag not preserved somehow uh, and not kept from stinking or something. You don't know understand what I'm saying. It's not like those kind of seals. It's the idea that we've been marked as authentic. Yeah, some of you know one of my functions, one of my 
things that do kind of on the side is I'm a notary public. And part of my job is I have to witness signatures. That's like the biggest job I have is witnessing signatures. I can take uh, affidavits, I can do a lot of different things in New York, but one of the things that I do mostly, and one of the reasons people ask me to help them out mostly, is just to witness a signature. And so after I witness the signature, I sign and I fill out a little form that's on the paper, or I put a form on the paper and then I fill it out and sign it. And then I have a stamp, a rubber stamp, that I stamp the page with. And it has my name on it, has my number on it, and has the date on it until when my commission expires. And if I really want to get fancy, I have this thing. It's metal thing, and it has like a uh, you squeeze it, and it's a seal, and I can stick that right on the paper and squeeze it, and it actually leaves an imprint right on the paper. And if you want something to look real official, that's how you do it, right there. That's official, all right? And the church also, the church has a seal like that, that uh, if any of you have ever received a certificate, like uh, somebody, if you complete the internship and you got a certificate, if you look on there, there's a seal on it, which marks it as official, because that's the official church seal. So um, that, that kind of seal. So you got it? Got in your brain? Not Ziploc, seal like, like a seal, like wax or something. Legit. So you're marked as legit by the Holy Spirit. So he goes about doing that. He's in you. He's in you and he's filling you up and he's giving you gifts and he's empowering you and he's doing all these things and in doing all those things he's teaching you and he's comforting you and he's doing, he has all these functions in your life and while he's doing all of those things he's marking you, he's setting you apart as being legit for the king. And, and this verse is telling us don't make him sad or unhappy while he's going about his work in you. Don't do it. So what makes him sad or unhappy? In, in the verse that I'm looking at, verse 31 begins with the word let. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with malice. Malice gets its own little special spot there. But the rest of them are, are all together in it. I, mean, I think most Bibles have malice set aside a little bit. Does your Bible have malice set aside? Yeah, so you got this list, and then, and malice. So pay attention to that one, because that, that's important. So the first word, though, though is let, and that, that means allow and agree to. Allow and agree to for bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander to be put away from you. You have to agree to that. You have to allow that in your life. And you think to yourself, well, who wants any of that? Well, I don't know, but people do. People like that stuff. They hang on to it, like for dear life. Not just, well, I kind of like it, or, or I, it's okay that it's around, but people really hang on to a lot of stuff like that. And you read that list, bitterness. Yeah. You ever meet bitter people? Try to get them to part with their bitterness. Try. Give it a shot. 
No, it's better over here. You don't have to be bitter like that. You can be set free from that. I like being bitter. It's all I got. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? And yet, people are like that. How many people have I met that, yeah, can I pray for you? You seem a little bitter. Yeah, darn right I'm bitter. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> I'm not going to steal it from you. you got to give it up. You know, it's okay. It, bitterness, wrath, anger. People, like they find rest in their anger. For whatever reason, they really don't, but they think they do. They think they find some rest in that. They think it protects them or something. They think it keeps mean people away. Well, I'm just an angry person. Well, why are you an angry person? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why people hold on to that. The word clamor, we'll talk about that in a minute. Slander. Slander's kind of fun. You know, you just make stuff up about people and tell other people about it. Yeah. That's slander. Okay. So let's go through each of these. Because if we have to let them go, in other words, we have to allow this to happen in our life, we have to actually agree to it, we should probably know what we're agreeing to. All right? So let's just take them one at a time. Let's talk about bitterness. A definition of bitterness, I'll just give you a quick def on each of these, if I can find one. But the quick definition of bitterness, harsh, Acrid, disagreeable, bitterness. We know some bitter people. You know, you think about and it, it tastes. What tastes bitter? Give me one thing that tastes bitter. Molasses. Does? I didn't know molasses tasted bitter. Coffee. Coffee's a bitter. Yep. Liver. Hmm. Liver. liver? See, I don't find liver tastes bitter. Kale can taste bitter. Yeah, that's true. Bitter greens. Bitter greens. Yeah, uh, if you've, have you ever eaten uh, aloe? Super dark chocolate. If you've ever eaten aloe, not the stuff that comes in the sugar water, but like you squeeze some out of a leaf, that can be really bitter. All right? Super dark chocolate. Hmm. Baking cocoa. Oh, baking cocoa. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we have a taste that we call bitter, which can vary from person to person, obviously, because some <laughs> things you think are bitter, I might not. But the, the idea is when bitterness comes into us as people, it produces kind of the same effect on others. In other words, we become, we become, the kale yeah. in other people's life. Yeah, but we don't want to be the vinegar, okay, in other people's lives. In other words, see, we become bitter, or other people become bitter, and then they come up against us. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 12. Those of you that have uh, taken the counseling course, you're going to know this verse, but Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. 
Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. All right. There's something I, I, a couple of points on this. One is grace. How do you fall short of the grace? Like, what did that say again? Read that again. Uh, See that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile men. Okay, so see that no one falls short of the grace of God. Just literally tell me what that means to you. What's part of our jobs with each other? What's part of our jobs as a body of believers? What's one of those things? that We just write in that verse. See to it that what? Nobody falls short of the grace of God. What does that mean? Be gracious with one another. All right, so we can be gracious. That, uh, that was what Kim said was to be gracious with one another. So we can show grace to, to each other. So we're constantly pouring out grace. What else does it mean? Forgive. We forgive, right? So we're modeling forgiveness. And when people do us wrong, we're going to forgive them. All right, good. What else? What else can we do? Help. Help. What happens when people... Give me an example. Well, if someone wants advice, comes to where the problem Or if they want somebody to listen to them, or if they just need to talk about something. Yeah. Be there. Be there. They need help, like what happened today. Somebody needed help with their house and working on the porch, so you went and helped them out. That was a physical, real, actual, swinging a hammer or running a screw gun kind of job. Right? Right. The idea behind it is we don't want people living undergraced. Right? What do I mean by that? How much grace is out there? How much grace does God offer to us? It's more than we can even understand it. And so if we run into somebody who's not living in that grace, in that, that, that abundance, that supply, that overflowing amount of grace, and we run into people that aren't living like that, what's part of our job is to bring them into that overflowing abundance of grace. And in order to do that, we need to live there. We need to find ourselves in that kind of grace. And that's going to produce in us that forgiveness. It's going to produce in that that living gracefully toward one another. That's what it's going to produce in us. That's what produces us willing to help people that maybe sometimes, and I don't even know how to define this, but who deserves our help? I don't know. But not even thinking in those terms, right? Just helping because there's a need or helping because we feel like we should. We feel like God's telling us to. And that's really the key to it. And so we're not allowing one another to live kind of in that, in that absence, in that, that, uh, that lack of grace. But we want people living in an abundance of grace. Because if you, people don't live... In an abundance of grace, bitterness does come in. 
And it's that grace that keeps it at bay in us. It's that grace that keeps us in love instead of picking each other apart. And as far as I know, that's the only thing that does that. Because how are you going to have a diverse group of people from different families that had different values, that, that believed different things, that saw things a different way, that maybe uh, understood the world in a different way? How are you going to get them all together to do anything? You're not. Grace is all that can do that. You know, churches that don't operate in a high degree of grace, often the church just looks like one thing. All right? And I don't, I don't care what that one thing is. I'm not even <clears throat> trying to judge that. All I'm trying to tell you is that churches that don't operate in a lot of grace tend to look like one culture or look like one people group or look like one thing. And I don't believe that's what God has for us. I think God wants us to, to come from different places. I think he wants us to come from different backgrounds. I think he wants us to come from different family situations with different values and different ways of seeing the world and different ways of understanding what's going on around us. I think he wants that. And the only way that's going to happen and the only way that we're ever going to be effective in doing what God's called us to do is that there's a lot of grace going on. And that grace starts from the top, the bottom, and goes all throughout the whole thing, the whole body. It has to. And so there has to be grace going toward this group, that group, and that group. And there has to be grace coming up from that group toward whoever is given the grace to. And I think of our kinships. And our kinship leaders need to have a lot of grace on the people in their groups. But you know what? Those groups need to have a lot of grace on their leaders too. That's how it works. You can't, we're not in that old paradigm, all right? That old paradigm that says, you know, like we're holding our leaders to a higher standard. And I know you don't want to hear that. But I expect, and I expect our kinship leaders receive as much grace as leaders as they're given. That's what I believe in. And if you're being forgiven, and you're being set free, and you're being prayed over, and whatever else is going on, you're being loved on, you need to be loving on somebody too. Because when you made a mistake, everybody forgave you. So what happens with somebody that, that your kinship leader makes a mistake? You'd better forgive them. You'd better. And you know what's going to pop up? Bitterness. Yeah. You become the vinegar. It's so bad, though, because when you clean your meat, what do you clean your meat with? The vinegar. So it kills all the stuff. That's all it's doing. Right. Like, that was a really strong picture um, in my mind. Right. Right. It's just killing stuff. All right. And in the proper context, I'm not down on vinegar or anything. I know, but I don't want to be vinegar. I want to be sweet. Right. I don't want to be vinegar either. I, I don't. I don't either. All right. But I, I'm just saying that that bitterness. 
that bitterness will crop up. And the other part of that verse says this, is that isn't just if you're going to be bitter and bitterness begins to crop up in a person's life, they're not the only one defiled. It says many are defiled through the person who's, who is... That, that root of bitterness that crops up in people defiles many. Not just them. It's never good enough just to be bitter yourself. You've got to get other people bitter. Because that's just how it goes. And you can call that human nature. You can say whatever it is. I tell you, that, that's in the Scripture, though. And that root of bitterness is defiling you and then defiling the people that are around you. The only antidote I know for that is grace and love. That's all I know. And you can prevent that by loving people. You can prevent that by showing grace to people. Second thing he mentions is wrath. Wrath. Wrath is ire. Rage, fury, or forceful anger. So when you think of wrath, don't think of just somebody sitting in the corner all mad. Like, mm. that's not wrath. Wrath is rage and fury, forceful anger. In other words, anger causing action. That, that's, that's wrath. Somebody look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. <clears throat> Colossians 3 8. And so as, as you look at that, and you can look at that list, you can look at this list, but the idea behind it is that this kind of anger, and who's guilty of this? I'm guilty of this. I, I was just thinking of a, a time, probably, I don't know, it was over 15 years ago, and we were here working on the church, and we were up here doing something. I forget what we were doing. I had a hammer in my hand. And I was working, and, and June called me up and told me that there was somebody calling the house, and they were saying bad things to her over the phone. And she told me who it was. And so I remember walking out of here with the hammer because I knew where this person was. And as I walked out the door, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to kill him. That's what I thought. And I'm driving. I got in the car and I'm driving to where I knew they were. And I was still thinking to myself, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to kill this guy right now and thankfully I got to where he was supposed to be and he wasn't there so then I went and searched for him for a little while 
And he was in two or three other places where he normally was. And I know that was God protecting me. Because there was wrath all over that. All over it. And I'd like to say that I wouldn't do that again. But I'd have to be in the circumstance to really know. I'd like to believe I wouldn't do that again now. That somehow I've matured and I've agreed to let that be put away from me. And maybe I have. You know, it seems like I have, but I really don't know until it comes up again. But that's, and we all experience that, I guess, in different ways. We all, that kind of wrath, that kind of fury, that kind of anger can show itself in a bunch of different ways. But it's completely unacceptable. And I, and honestly, I agree. I agree. I, I want, I allow God, would you put that away from me? I want to put that away from me. And I've been agreeing to that and allowing that for a lot of years now. Because that's what I want. The next word, the next uh, thing they talk about is anger, and it's closely related to that, obviously. But you can be angry and nobody knows about it. You see that that differentiates it a little bit from wrath, because you can be angry and no one knows, and you can be vengeful, and you can be you know, taking your petty vengeances against people and carrying anger quite a bit and quite far and quite a long time without anybody ever really knowing. Because that's kind of inside you. That's what's in your heart. That's what's in your mind is anger. That's what's in us if we allow it. Now I know people, they say that, they, they say, well, it, it makes me who I am. Well, maybe partially it's been a part of who you are, but the Bible says that we need to allow and agree to that being put away from us. You know, I think of people in the Bible, and you know, you got to think about somebody like David. He had a fair amount of anger, I think, in some ways. You don't kill tens of thousands of people without having a little mean streak in you. <laughs> you just don't. I mean, you you. I, I don't know. If you've ever killed an animal with your hands, all right, that's not easy for most people. Now translate that to people and then multiply that by about 10,000 or more. You've got to have a little bit of a mean streak in you to do that. I mean, seriously. So I look at somebody like that and, you know, we all have our struggles. We all have our thing, right? And anger, and, and, and you might look at somebody and not know they're angry. You might be that person. You might be that person and nobody knows you're angry, but you are angry. I don't know. But the, the, the point I'm making here, and the point I believe that Paul's making to the church at Ephesus here, is that we got to, we got to come to a point in our own lives, especially with something we can hide. We got to come to a point in our own lives where we agree to, we allow that 
to be put away from us. Period. And that's up to you. Because you can keep hiding it. And you think you're hiding it. Or you can keep suppressing it. Or you can keep doing whatever you're doing with it. And you can be that person that nobody knows is angry. But you're hurting yourself by carrying it around. See, bitterness hurts everybody. That just hurts everybody. Wrath, obviously, hurts both the person and other people. Anger, anger doesn't always affect anybody else. Except maybe you don't have a lot of friends or something. Maybe you're a loner. Or something like that. I don't know. But it's destroying us on the inside. We carry it around. Proverbs twelve sixteen. Somebody want to read that? Proverbs twelve sixteen. Yeah. Fools show their annoyance at once. What does that make you think of? Road rage. Hmm? Road rage? Okay, that's a good example of that. Reactionary. Completely reactionary. Yeah, I was driving down the road today. And I was just annoyed at everything. People weren't using their signals. People were cutting me off. People were moving in front of me. Blah, 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 blah. And I was just, I just stopped in the middle of it. I'm like, I wonder why I'm so annoyed with all this today. It happens every day. Why would I be annoyed with it today? And I had to really think about that. No reason for it. No reason whatsoever. But who does stuff like that? Fools. Yeah. Fools. It's foolish behavior. It says the prudent can overlook an insult. You really want to get somebody irritated that's insulting you? Overlook it. Yeah. That's really annoying. You ever see the movie Roadhouse? Patrick Swayze? Yeah, it's classic. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but in that movie, there's a scene where he's talking to the bouncers because he's the cooler, meaning he's the guy in charge of the bouncers at this uh, roadhouse in Missouri somewhere. And so he's talking to the bouncers, and he's like, yeah, if you know, somebody says something to you, you need to ignore it. You need to just move on and keep doing your job. You can't let things bother you. And so they start giving examples of things that people could say about their moms or about, you know, this or that or whatever. And, and if somebody calls you this name, you're just supposed to ignore it. And, you know, he's just like, yeah, just ignore it. Just ignore it. That's a noun and a verb put together to elicit a response. He, he responded to one of the things that they were saying if they called him that name. Or, or whatever. Opinions vary. And so he, he was just trying to teach these guys because they, they just would get into fights. They were the bouncers, but they kept getting into fights. They so said, you, you can't get into fights. You're here to prevent the fights. 
here to pull the people out of here, so you have to be bigger than the idiots you're trying to help and protect. Yeah. The fools, as Proverbs would say, the fools. So they need to be more the prudent. That's what God calls us to, to be more prudent, not the fool. All right, there's another next word in the list is clamor. <laughs> clamor. Let clamor be put away from you. What's clamor? Clamor is a loud, persistent outcry or an uproar. Let that be put away from you. <laughs> Do we have any clamorers here tonight? Ah! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think of uh, clamorers as being pretty immature. All right, that's how I see it. It's like it's, it's just kind of an immature response to life. Like, how are you going to respond to things? I'm going to get all mad, and I'm going <laughs> to, you know, they, they cry it out. What injustice? Uh, if you're still expecting things to be fair by this point, adults sitting here in front of me. <laughs> Yeah, give it up, all right? It is not going to be fair. There's nothing going to be fair like that. That's not the way of the world. It's not how things work. I don't know they ever worked that way. Maybe they did, I don't know. In a super civilized society, maybe, but I doubt it. Because even in super civilized societies, there's still people that have privileges that other people don't have, and that by its very nature is unfair. So, I, you know, I think people looking for fairness, I think it's kind of an immature idea. And so they get frustrated and they get angry about whatever that is. And so I, I'm just telling you what I think here. I mean, if you want to believe what you want to believe, go ahead. I'm just, I'm trying to let you know that that's just not how it works. And, and I think there's other things that are in us from childhood that are immature thoughts. And that are immature ways of seeing the world. And I think when we live in that immaturity, I think that we rage or we are outraged or we clamor over things that really just don't matter. They don't matter. Or that there's a better response for. Because I mean, if I'm just going to have a fit and stomp my feet, what's that going to accomplish? Nothing. All right? I might, get, I might be able to have a response that could be helpful or could be productive or could be something that could turn something to the positive but if I'm just going to stomp my feet and stamp my feet and say yeah well whatever and get all upset about it and respond in some immature way if I'm going to clamor over something then I don't know what if anything could be produced from that that would be positive I just don't know and so I think there's a work of maturity that God wants to do. There's a couple examples here. Uh, Acts 23.9. A couple of examples of clamoring in the Bible. Acts 23.9. The 
there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? All right. So what's produced out of the clamor and the uproar? Nothing. Okay, a voice of clarity needs to come forth when there's a clamor and there's an uproar. In other words, a mature voice needs to speak. Psalm 74, verse 23. Psalm 74, verse 23. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversary, the uproar of your enemies which rises continually. So in that psalm, it's recognizing that the clamor or the uproar does mean something. What does it mean? In those verses, can you tell? I didn't have you read the whole thing, but can you kind of tell what it's talking about? What's that? Well, it says don't ignore it, right? Yeah. Right, because it was it indicates something. It indicates anger. It indicates malice. It indicates something towards you, right? It indicates a general attitude. This is again. This is my opinion about this. It indicates a general attitude of of immaturity toward you, and in that there's probably some irrational behavior about to come out of it. <laughs> That's what it means. Clamoring. <laughs> About to be some irrational behavior come out of that <laughs> if you let it go too far. <laughs> All right. Then the last on this list is slander. What's slander? Anybody? Uh, untrue verbal statements about someone. All right. That's a legal definition. It's good. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Yeah, Baron. Yeah, it's just uh, saying things that aren't true about people. Why do people do that? So they feel better about themselves. Feel better about themselves, man. There's only one reason to do it. All right. You can say, "Well, I just want to try and make them look bad." Yeah, but why are you trying to make them look bad? So you feel better about yourself. So one reason to do that that I know of, unless somebody's paying you to do it, and then you feel better about yourself because you're making money off of it. All right. All right, let's look at some verses about slander. Proverbs 10.18. Proverbs 10.18. 
Proverbs 10.18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. <laughs> is a fool. <laughs> I like that verse because it just it's just right to the point. Fool. That's what it is. If you do that, you're a fool. Alright, Psalm 101.5. You know, you think about why are you a fool? Well, you're trying to make yourself feel better, right? So you're talking bad about somebody, you're making something up, you're lying about somebody. Is that really going to make you feel any better? No. So you're doing something under the, the guise of trying to accomplish something that's not going to be accomplished anyway. You know what we call that? Fool. That's a fool right there. All right, good. Psalm 101.5. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. All right. God doesn't like it. Alright, so not only are you a fool, not only is it foolish to do it, God doesn't like it. 1 Peter Okay, so in Peter, Peter's saying we need to rid ourselves of these things. So everything that I just talked about, all right, everything we just discussed, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, we need to agree to and allow to be put away from us. Those things make the Holy Spirit sad and unhappy. So we need to agree to and allow those things to be put away from us. And so all of those things, they were all listed together. And then we need to take care of those things. And so as you look at that, as you hear that list, I want you to think about it. It's like, what needs to be put away from me of that list? What, what of the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander? What needs to be put away from me? I mean, it might be all of them. I don't know. We need to agree to that. And, and it's good to state your agreement. God, I agree and I allow you and I want these things to be put away from me in Jesus' name. I just gave you a little prayer there. <laughs> and then he says, and along with all malice. So we got a complete thought going on. We got a whole list of stuff. And then he tacks on at the end, gives us his own special spot, and he says, and, and all malice. Malice is ill will, spite, grudge, desire to see another experience pain, injury, or distress. That's pretty cold-hearted, isn't it? I mean, the real desire in us to see somebody suffer to see somebody experience pain, injury, or distress. To carry a grudge, an ill will towards someone. In other words, we want something bad to happen to them. 
See, that's malice. That's malice. He said, yeah, make sure you deal with malice. Because that makes the Holy Spirit sad and unhappy. That causes the Holy Spirit to be sad and unhappy in our lives. There's a bunch of verses on that. I, I can give you the verses. We don't need to look at them all, but there's uh, Titus 3.3. 3. There's 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. And then there's 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20. We've got to deal with malice. That, that, that he put by itself, kind of in a special spot for us to deal with it. Carrying ill will or desire to see somebody else suffer. I mean, that's, that's just kind of like the devil, isn't it? Yeah. You just go beyond the point of this one and kick their ass and be done with it. It's like you wish they, you know, was not breathing air and stuff. Right. Right. That's pretty like heavy. Yeah, I you know, I told that story earlier. That that's that's a tough story to tell in public because uh I gotta repent of murder for that. Yeah. At least that's way so you can go. Well, I didn't actually have to go to jail, but I had to deal with my heart. I had to deal with my heart before God. Alright? Because there's no doubt in my head. And, uh, and so malice is, is, is kind of like the devil. It's that piece of the devil in us. Alright? That we want to see someone suffer in pain or injured or in distress. And that needs to go. That really needs to go. And that's something we need to quickly agree to and allow to go in our lives and not give place for it. Because if I give a little place to that, it just sets up shop in my head. <clears throat> I can't give place to it. If I give a little bit of leeway to that, it's it's getting way too big in my head. And so it's you know we have to deal with those kind of things in us. And if you don't deal with that kind of anger, or you don't deal with that kind of stuff in your mind. Blessings on you, man. That's awesome. And, and maybe you don't. I mean, I know some genuinely nice people now. I really didn't know too many of them before, but I know a few now. And it made me realize that not everyone is a raging psycho like I am. And that's good. That's really good. Gives me hope. It really does. So then it goes on, and this is where we're going to end up. 
It says that we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. I like that word, tender-hearted. What's the problem with being tender-hearted? You get hurt? Yep. That's what it means. If you're tender-hearted, then every little thing is going to hurt. But that's the way we're to be toward one another. Because there's something about it that is really... You can share so much when you're tender-hearted, but you also hurt so much, too. And somewhere in our brain, somewhere in our heart, somewhere in our minds, we have to come to the equation of, is it worth it? And I think it is. The Bible commands it, but I really think it's worth it. That we have to make that kind of a... Uh, of, that, that kind of cost-benefit analysis in our brains to be tender-hearted is it worth it yeah yeah forgiving one another and this is always the kicker man forgiving one another how as you're forgiven idiot because <laughs> what we start with this whole thing here you know, that the whole idea of showing grace and love and not allowing one another to live in a deficit or a lack of grace in our lives. Well, we've been forgiven, so we got to forgive each other. That only makes sense. That's the state we're living in, and we, in order to enjoy that state that we're living in, we have to live in it, actually. And we have to administer that over people and to others that are around us. It has to be a part of our lives, an actual part of our lives. It can't just be an idea or a concept or something that kind of got going for us, good for us, bad for them kind of thing. It's, no, this is how we live. This is what it really means. And so we're going to show grace to each other. And we're going to live in love for one another and... We're going to be tender-hearted and we're going to forgive. And that's what it really looks like. We're going to be kind to each other. That's what it really, really looks like. And if we're not living that way, refer to the above list, we're making the Holy Spirit, we're causing him to be sad and unhappy. I really don't want to do that. And I know some of you, you hate to make people sad and unhappy. I mean, and I don't think any of us really sets out to make people feel sad and unhappy, do we? Mostly? Most of the time? Do we set out to do that? No. No, we don't. So how much more for the Holy Spirit? Can we be conscious of what we're doing? Can we agree to and allow these things to be put away from us? Especially malice. And in turn, allow these other things that the Holy Spirit wants to do through us and kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness come through. Because I guess I would assume those things make him happy. I don't know. We know they don't make him sad, so we're at least moving along in the right direction. All right, any comments? Anybody?
don't remember where it was, maybe a kinship, just sharing in the last couple of weeks. I could literally feel bitterness. Like I was leaving something and I was mad because I didn't get my own way in the moment or something. I just remember, I was like, man, I got a choice right now. I can either just choose the bitterness or say, wow, I was like, thank you, God, for just showing me this. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've been forgiven by that person. I've been shown mercy. And I was like, I'm just going to deal with this right now so that it doesn't take root in me. It was just, it's, I, I noticed it, and I was like, thank you, God, that I even have enough brain or whatever ability to notice it and stop it right now. And I was just like, thank you. To not put that on that person or anybody else and forgive them and, and take a moment to just say, thank God for his mercy on me and stop it. I don't remember, I don't even remember what the issue was, but I noticed it a couple times even in the last couple of weeks in my own self, and I was like, yeah, I now want that bitterness. I'm just thankful to even be able to see it. Because mm -hmm. there were so many times in my life where I couldn't, and I just chose it, just willingly. What was that? Tender heart, yeah. Like, I just remember growing up was like, you just showing weakness and crying is like, not good, it's not going to get you anywhere. And like, I cry all the time, a lot. But like, I just try not to cry in front of people. One of my coworkers on Miss Rosario, she's just broke. She's real stressed out. She's going to grad school. And she's got two really bad behavior kids. And she just walked out the room with us and the other kids and was like crying. It was cool because I got to pray for her, but I had that feeling like, dang, girl, you got to suck it up. You're showing too much weakness. You know, but mm -hmm. <laughs> like, please, like, that's how it is. Like, you feel it. Like, you just, you, she felt her kid and she's done her own stuff, too. But it just stuck out to me because it's like, yeah, don't show weakness. Don't let anybody hurt you and just keep it in, keep quiet. Yeah, and it, it, it goes against a lot of what society tells us. It also goes against what society rewards. You're, you're talking about things that society rewards. You, our society rewards not showing weakness and being tough. And yet, in the body of Christ, tenderheartedness is something that, that's a natural expression of the Holy Spirit through us at least to one another. So it's so countercultural that we have to make a conscious effort and have a real conscious understanding in us that we're going to live like that with each other. Because it's worth it. And other people may not understand it. I can imagine that uh, people that care about us would be really worried about us if they knew we lived tender-hearted lives. I think it's hard to comprehend about the Holy Spirit having feelings. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason. My brain is like, it thinks so, oh, all-powerful. Uh, you can't feel emotional like your creation. 
know, it's so weird. That's why I keep saying it over and over again. I keep saying it over and over again because I know it's a weird concept for some of us. But I think the verses are clear. That so, we can grieve him, so. So is it just a maturity thing then? If you go from, all right, I'm going to be tenderhearted. I get hurt. Now I'm angry. I'm going to put the anger away. You know, it's, but it's a process that you go, you're going to go through. Right. But So there's an answer to how to mature in that then. Right. You make yourself vulnerable. <clears throat> you accept the hurt. You feel the anger, but you put it away. Right. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, the anger crops up. It's a protection. It's the way we protect ourselves, but the maturity side of us says we don't need to. We have a protector, and so we're trusting our protector. And besides, just getting angry hasn't protected us any anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for sharing, everybody. Let's uh, just take a few minutes to respond in prayer. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that he is working and he's in us and he is gifting us and he is comforting us and he is teaching us and he is doing all these things, sealing us, Marking us as authentic. Thanks, God. I thank you for His work and the much more the the sanctification and all the rest of the things that He does and all the big theological words He does and all that. And I thank you for that. Uh, I pray that simply we don't make Him sad or unhappy. That we don't give Him cause for that in our lives. But God, we want to give you authority. We want to allow. We want to uh, just give you free reign to, as we name off these things in us, to, to put them away. I pray that you would work with us in the putting away of all the things that we talked about tonight and and I pray especially for malice in us to be put away and to be done away with. I pray we agree to that. We allow that to happen. For Holy Spirit, I pray that you would manifest through us in our love for one another, our kindness, our tenderheartedness, our forgiveness toward each other. I pray it would be full of grace, just full of grace. That our lives would be full of grace and we'd be full of grace toward one another. So do your work in us. I pray you mature us. I pray you grow us up. And I ask you, God, that we would be continually responsive to the promptings and the work of your Holy Spirit in us. If we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.